Okay, Romans chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. So turn in your Bibles there and stand with me if you would. Romans chapter 16, we'll read two verses this morning and then I'll have you be seated. Title of the sermon today is Caring for the Affairs of the Church. And the idea just is, again, ministry involvement and recognizing that there are needs here. And each of us has a responsibility uh, to meet those needs. And not just a responsibility, but it's also an opportunity and a privilege. And so we're going to look at that thought this morning. Paul said in Romans 16, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for um, this place and the opportunity to be involved here. Lord, in this community, Lord, in this church, in, in this corner of your kingdom, Lord, I ask that today uh, you'd help us as we consider the thoughts before us and, and even the challenge uh, that we face uh, to make this place all it can be and should be, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. And so we ask for your help in our hearts today, um, and not just an understanding, but a willingness in our hearts uh, and an ability and wisdom to be involved with the right ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, and he had never been there. And the church at Rome had started, many, uh, many people believe, by Jews who, had, who had, had come to faith during Pentecost. And Paul had heard about this church, and he had, uh, he, he had an affection and a love there. Many barriers separated him from the church, but he did feel this special kindred to the people to whom he, he wrote. Paul was an intelligent man. Um, he was an articulate thinker and communicator. It, it could be argued he was one of, the most, one of the brightest minds the world has ever known. And that's no surprise why God would choose him to write so much of the New Testament and words that have been preserved for thousands of years, still read, studied, uh, and applied today. And so here he is throughout the book of Romans, and like a lawyer, he presenting a case, he presents a case for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is an impenetrable argument. And he starts, and he comes out very clearly in the first really half of the book with the good news of salvation and how Jesus Christ came and what that means for us and that salvation is available to all people regardless of their identity, regardless of their sin, regardless of what they've done in the past, regardless of their heritage or their ethnicity, it doesn't matter. All on an equal footing, all are loved by God, all are created by God, and God died for the sins of the world. And he communicates this thought so clearly that we who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he is the only way to heaven, that we're saved by grace. And that grace, it's unearned. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's only through the blood and faith in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not something you can earn. It's not something you deserve. The best of people don't deserve His grace. It's undeserved favor from God through Jesus Christ. It's grace that Jesus finished on the cross through His precious blood. And so He lays this, found, this foundation for our understanding of what the Christian faith is built on. And our faith is built on the gospel. It's built on this message. And so as he begins to build his thoughts, he transitions into the book, in the book into this idea of freedom. And he argues that every single person who is saved in Jesus Christ has found freedom from sin, 
has found freedom from the law that was established in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, that Jesus, this was a new dispensation of grace, that the old was done away with, and that there was a new way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he argues that we are free from the law. But then he challenges believers not to abuse their freedom, but to use it wisely. And he takes these ideas... And so he has this idea of the gospel, how it's to be applied in our lives as individuals, how it's to be proclaimed. And then on top of that foundation, he builds this this other thought that regardless of who you are and the context to whom he was writing would be Jew and Gentile. So Jews and then the rest of the world just encompasses everybody that they have a place where they fit in God's plan. In God's kingdom, in His plan for changing the world, both then and now, continuing today and into the future, until He comes back, God has a plan and a place for every single person. And there is this larger principle that all people are united into the body of Christ. No matter who you are, there is a place for you in His kingdom. And part of His concluding challenge for the final chapters of Romans is that each single person doesn't just have a place where they fit, they have a very specific place where they fit because God has gifted and made every single person unique. Just like He made your physical anatomy, your body unique. And He'll use this analogy, not just in Romans, but in Corinthians and other places of the physical body to illustrate the body of Christ. And so we were in Romans 16. I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, we've got it on the screens for you. I want to read a few more verses this morning. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... Okay, so he is saying uh, we have members of our body. We have fingers, we got toes, ears, eyes, nose, legs, all these pieces. And he says, for as many members in one body and all members have not the same office, they don't serve the same function. He said, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. And every one members one of another. Having then gifts, and here's that word, they're differing. I am gifted in a way that's different than you. You are gifted in a way that's different than me. Just as as you have different parts of your body, so too the body of Christ has different gifts. And he says, according to the grace that's given to us. And so he's going to give a few illustrations here. These aren't all encompassing. That would take a long, long time and take up a lot of pages of Scripture. But here's the broader principle. He says, so whether prophesy, well, then let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. If you're, if you're a preacher, then preach. He says, our ministry, let us wait on our ministering. If you, if you have, a, have a gift for attending to things, then do that. He says, or he that teacheth on teaching, exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And again, this isn't every single list, but he is saying this, you are gifted. Whether you could see it or not, there is a place for you in the body of Christ You have a smile, you have a physical presence, you have a hand for most of us that can shake other hands, you have an area here of service that you can get plugged in and do something and contribute, and he's saying, you have a gift, use it for the Lord. And then he says, this is the kind of attitude 
that I want you to have in service. Verse 9, he says, let love be without dissimulation. It's the idea of hypocrisy, the idea of sincerity. Don't just say it, show it. Don't just act one way. No, become that and, and, and be that. Let love be without, fa- without being fake. Be real. He says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kind. Be affectioned one to another. We started on the video a minute ago, and this is emphasized in the, in the, in the, in the idea of who Eastland Baptist Church is. And Ben was so articulate in saying... That's who we're supposed to be. When someone comes into this facility, they are supposed to feel a kind affection one toward another. Not just toward a guest, but toward each other. People pick up on that. They feel the vibe. They see it. They understand it. And there's a lot of places that you could go and you could, you could look at a greeter, maybe at another institution or another place, another place where you might shop and say, well, that might be love, but it is, without, it is with dissimulation. It's not real. He's saying, no, 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 this is real. We love one another. We treat each other with respect. We treat each other with dignity. We treat each other with kindness. And then he says, uh, with brother love and honor, preferring one another, put other people first. When you come into church, this is, this is not the direct context. He's just saying the Christian life, I'm making it for the context of the church today, because if not here, where else would we apply it? And he's saying, prefer one another. Think about other people. Don't just be so self-centered and self-focused. He says, prefer one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so the whole idea of the book of, the, of Romans and the gospel is how it works in our life. How it's fleshed out. How, how that we, there's this incredible emphasis on, emphasis on here's the gospel and here we're saved and let's not abuse our freedom and hey, you're gifted. And so here's these two big ideas that he's going to land on. Love people and love equates to service. And as he comes into the final chapters of Romans, he kind of presses his foot on the gas and doesn't let up. And in chapter 13, he has this emphasis on loving one another, and he's pushing this idea hard. Romans 14, he says, we're accountable to each other and to God. Let that be in your mind, that the way you act today in church, you will one day stand accountable to God. He says, let's be careful with this. Like, we don't get to just be who we want to be. We need to be who God wants us to be. Chapter 15, he says, be like-minded and be a minister. That's what we're called to do. If you're going to take the grace of God, if you're going to take the forgiveness and the blood of Christ, and you're going to go to heaven, then, man, you got some freedom and use it wisely. And then let that be worked out in love and in service. This is the emphasis of the gospel. This is the emphasis of Paul's letter. Well, then he gets to chapter 16. There are parts of the book of Romans that could be perceived as direct and confrontational. Have you read that? You go, wow, that's heavy. There are parts that require deep thinking and analysis. I have been reading Romans my entire life. I still read it and go, never saw that before. Look at that. Wow. There's a depth to the book. But in chapter 16... Paul's tone softens a bit, and he's writing from a heart full of love and appreciation. And he's writing to people in the church who meant something special to him. So here he's laid out this framework and and this challenge, and now he kind of pivots and says, and here's some people 
who are doing that. And I am so thankful. And there's this love and there's this appreciation. It's reflective and thoughtful. And his ideas are full of intimacy. And he mentions specifically some people by name. People who had served the Lord and been a personal help to him. And he starts chapter 16 with this woman's name, Phoebe. Most commentators and study Bibles say nothing about her. And, and to be fair, there's not a lot stated here. She's a person on the pages of Scripture, easy to overlook. But she is on the pages of preserved Scripture. And she's a person that we might overlook, but we don't have to this morning. Historians believe that she was the one who would literally physically have this letter in her hand and delivering it to the church at Rome. She obviously did so successfully. <laughs> Scholars say she wasn't traveling for the exclusive purpose of delivering the letter. She was more than likely on other business and was more than likely, people believe, a woman of substantial wealth and influence. She had become a believer in Christ and she was delivering this letter for Paul. And though she had other business in Rome, perhaps this would be one of her greatest contributions to Christianity. Her name meant bright and radiant. It came from a Greek goddess who was the light of the moon. And Paul commends her to the church in three ways. He says she's a sister in Christ. She knows the Lord is her Savior. She's a servant. And he says, but she's not just a servant. She goes above and beyond. She's a helper of many people. And he also adds this. And, and myself, too. She's been a help to a lot of people. And, and, and she's been a help to me. She sought me out. She's eased my burden. She's, she served me. And she was especially dear to Paul. Again, she was a woman of wealth, and she used that wealth to support him and others. But from the text, it seems like she was more than just a contributor. She got her hands dirty. She served people. Paul used this phrase, she's been a sucker of many and of myself also. That word in the Greek is prostasis, an expressive term. It literally means one who stands by in case of need. In classical Greek literature, this word was used to describe a physical trainer. And so here would be this, this person who had been trained in, in, in the arts of physical training, and they would stand by the Olympian athletes. And so as the athlete would begin to compete, they would help them train for the competition. And then on the day of competition, they would literally stand ready to help that individual compete and do whatever they needed so that that individual could, could run their race, so that they could compete in the game. And that's the word Paul is using to describe this lady. Like, she's been a help to so many people as they serve, as they, as they run their course, as, as I preach the gospel, she stands there and whatever is needed, this woman is there. She's a servant to servants. She's a blessing. She's a help. She stands ready to do whatever needs to be done, just like a physical trainer would to an athlete. Phoebe was and continues to be an example of how we too can and should serve other people. She was a living example of everything Paul was talking about. And he was saying, look at her life. Be like her. Serving is not the easiest thing to do. Phoebe didn't have to be Phoebe. She didn't have to be a sucker to many. If it was easy, everyone would do it. So why don't we serve? 
Well, Paul said just a moment ago in chapter 12, verse 11, he said, don't be slothful in business. Why don't we serve? Well, the word slothful can mean lazy, but it also means this, wasting time. Some of us may not be so lazy, but we do a lot of other things that if we were to look at from the other side of eternity, we might look back and go, well, that was a waste of time. And I could have better used that. And I had moments where I could have been a blessing and I could have stewarded that. And, and, and maybe I even, even in coming to church, maybe, maybe there were moments there where I just didn't intentionally invest in people the way I could have. And I wasted time. I wasted precious moments. I wasted opportunity that could have been used wisely. And Paul says, don't be slothful in business. Why don't we serve? Because it's work. It takes effort. We, got, we went to bed last night. We had a busy week. We get up Sunday morning, and there is this temptation for us to kind of plop down like we would at a restaurant and be like, you know, bring the food out. Aren't, I mean, restaurants are great. You just have to pay a bill, but you get all the work done for you. You just sit down and pick out a meal, and everything's done. They bring it to you, clean up. But this isn't a restaurant. And the body of Christ isn't built like that on that model. We have to contribute here. And Paul says, don't be the guy that plunks down. Be the guy that serves the food. And we all have that responsibility. Or serving's work. Serving is other-centered. And if we don't choose otherwise, we default to being self-centered. Unless we choose to be different, we become the most important person in the room. We're going to think about how, how, how things that we want, things that other people should do different through our lens. We're going to have this expectation that we be served. And in Romans 12.10, again, we just read this a moment ago, he says, in honor, preferring one another. So that when I sit down or when I enter into, into this place, my mind doesn't just think about what I need. My mind begins to think, what do the people around me need? What does that guy need? What, what, what's wrong with this situation? How can I be a help here? Who can I greet? Who can I smile at? What area of ministry needs to be plugged in? And where can I get involved? And what can I do to be a help? You know, serving, reasons we don't, it takes from us. There's a cost associated with it. But someone has to work to make things happen. And we aren't paid here to serve. Phoebe was a contributor. And Paul said, when she comes to you, I want you to take care of her. She belongs there. If we would be like that, if we're going to serve other people, then we're going to have to realize that thinking about other people precedes serving them. You don't automatically become servant. It happens when you begin to process and look at the world around you through this lens. There are needs here. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes, yeah, someone greeted you, but there are still needs here. And we, we, we're, we're going to talk about that specifically tonight. Being a servant has perhaps more to do with our attitude than our actions. When you begin to think like a servant, you act like one. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as we think in our hearts, so are we. And sometimes we fail to think about all the people who serve us. Um, as a dad, I realize now how much my parents serve me. And I had no idea until I had kids. I think about my kids a lot. Um, they're always on my heart. They're always on my mind. The needs that they have are endless. Um, 
Elizabeth saying last night, you know, we're in Sophia's room and we're praying as a family. And she says, babe, Sophia needs clothes. She's growing. She's getting too big. We got we to gotta, we gotta get clothes. It's a need she has. As her dad and provider, I think about that. It's a privilege to do that for her. I never thought about how much my dad thought about me in that way until I had my own kids. The more you reflect on people serving you, the things that need to be done, it motivates you to action. Don't come here and be a child. Come here like a father. Come here like a mother. Come with that lens. What do the people around me need? What does the Lord want me to do? As we sit here, this, this moment at 1121, there are a lot of people serving us so that we can have this quiet sermon and time to reflect. There are nursery workers right now holding babies, changing their diapers and keeping them quiet so that we can be here without that noise and distraction. There are toddler workers in our two and three-year-old classes. There are camera men back here, and they are filming the service for those listening online or that those who are serving right now can go back later and watch the sermon. There's security in the foyer. They're walking the hallways. We have a dispatcher watching cameras and keeping our parking lot safe and keeping an eye on it. Someone showed up early this morning to unlock the building, to turn on the air, to make sure that there were no what um, us staff guys call surprises, because <laughs> you never know what you're going to find after an activity or something that happened, and it requires extra effort and work to clean that up and have it ready for Sunday. There's someone who's going to wait until we all leave today to lock up the building this afternoon, and then it all starts over again tonight. Someone's going to repair things that we break. I already have two repairs I have to mention to Brother John this morning. I found a part of a door on the ground, and I also found a corner where someone destroyed one of the corners that needs to be painted. Someone's going to clean everything that we dirty today. And, and here's the challenge. Think about it. That's all. Just think about it. Like, there's a lot that goes on. And that's the tip of the iceberg. I'm just giving you a few big rocks. There's so many things that make a church happen and work. And then there's the real important work, which is not just the building of facilities, but it's engaging the people. It, it, it's making sure that the spirit and the heart of this place is right. This morning at 8.30, we had a teacher's meeting, and, and the guys were kind of dragging today. And I was looking, and I was like, guys, take, you gotta, this attitude's got to come on. I need your help leading. we got to take this into the service. We need to honor the Lord. We need to be responsible to the preaching and to the music. And, and we're all responsible for that here, for the Holy Spirit to work and to be in an attitude of prayer and, and submission and love toward one another. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. And I'm asking you today, would you think about it? Because if you don't think about it, you're never going to be motivated to action. Consider the cost of what it takes to make this place function, of make, to make any church or any institution function. Don't be okay with just sitting there. Thinking about others precedes serving them. Number two, focus on what you can do. Um, sometimes, and, and, and I could be as guilty of this as anyone, we think of all the things we can't do, the things we're not good at, the limitations that we have, the time we don't have, I'm going to tell you, that is limited thinking, and it's faulty. Never allow limitations in your life to be excuses. I don't sing well. Okay, that's not just an illustration. That's a matter of fact, all right? But maybe Brother Jesse could use some help cleaning out the orchestra pit. Or maybe you see some needs that he doesn't see or isn't able to fulfill. 
and you see that, you think, you know what, I could fill that spot because I see it. And I could shore up that hole. And I could be a help in this area of ministry. I'm not good at painting. But I could show up on a Saturday morning every other week and help mow the lawn and make it look as beautiful as it is. I don't know how to teach. Or maybe I wasn't asked to teach. But I could take out the trash after class is over. Because there's always trash to be taken out. Focus on what you can do. When you see a need, you see it for a reason. Don't just criticize it. Don't just excuse it. Take care of it. Help it. When a need's presented, reflect. Is that something I can do and should do? There's an opportunity for me to be involved. Number three, realize that God takes note of those who serve. Hebrews 6.10 says, for God's not unrighteous, and he specifically says this, to forget your labor, your work and labor of love which have showed toward his name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. How do we labor and work for the Lord? Well, we minister to the saints. And who doesn't forget? Well, you know what? There's a lot that goes on in this building every single week that I don't see, that you don't see. There's a lot that goes on that is easily forgotten. But there's a God in heaven presiding over all who says, I see it and I ain't going to forget it. And I see that labor of love, and I see that smile you extended, and I saw you walk across the auditorium, and I saw you pick up that piece of trash, and I saw you have a willing heart to be involved, and I see you, I'm, I hear you, you're not forgotten. God says, I'm keeping, I'm keeping score here, we got this, you're okay, you're going to be rewarded. And God says, you're not going to forget. There's a lot of things that people forget, but God won't. And as you serve your love, and your heart, they begin to soften, and our heart begins to get attached. And we begin to care more about those areas of ministry and those people that we're serving. Number four, and I have four points, and then I have a longer conclusion. So don't get too excited, okay? A few, a few more minutes, we'll be done. When you serve others, you place yourself in a position to be served. Paul urged the believers in Rome to receive her, Phoebe, in the Lord as becometh saints. He is saying this to them, receive this woman as worthy of honor, because she is. She's a person who had earned the right to be honored. And Paul said, lift her up, put her in a place of distinction, hold her in high regard. She gets respect, she gets served. And there is this idea of Scripture, and it permeates the entire Bible, and we are going to see this in a whole new way in heaven one day. But those who are last, Jesus said, you mark it down, you look at them, and some of the most unlikely people are going to be catapulted into first. There's people here who labor every single week, and they may have more reward than, than a lot of who we would consider real spiritual leaders in our nation or even in our church. And all of a sudden, they get catapulted into a first place. And God says, I see things different than you do. And Paul said, look at this woman, Phoebe. And she wasn't maybe a missionary, and she maybe wasn't a pastor of a church. But Paul said, hold her up in regard. Hold her up in honor, because the Lord is and will. Then he says, assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. You reap what you sow. There's going to come a moment in your life when you're going to need something from other people. And you're going to know how much you've invested based on the response to help you get. You have a limited sowing, you're going to have a limited reaping. You put a little couple seeds in the ground, that's all you're going to get. 
That's all the fruit you get in your garden. You plant a harvest and you throw out tons of seed, someday you're going to reap it. It's going to come back to you in love and it's going to come back to you in serve, acts of service back towards you. If you say, well, I don't feel accepted in love, there's a reason for that. You've invested little, you reap little. And God says, invest a lot. Like give of yourself and other people are going to give to you. Phoebe, it happened to her. You reap what you sow. Don't be the person who gets served all the time and doesn't say thank you. Doesn't have a grateful heart. Doesn't even think about what other people are doing for you. Don't be the person who doesn't reciprocate with service. Serving is fuel to the church. Churches that survive and thrive are churches filled with servants. They're filled with Phoebes, if you will. And churches that dry up and die, they are filled with takers. And perhaps you've been part of a church before, or maybe you visited somewhere and you go, this place is dead. No one shook my hand. There's no smiles. There's no laughter. There's no joy. It's just a bunch of grumpy, worn out, dried up, shriveled people. You know why? Because they're takers. And, and in Easton, that's not who we are. That's who we never want to be. We give. We serve. We love. We invest. We smile. We greet. We love one another. Serving begets serving. When one person serves, it motivates other people to serve. You can complain about others all you want, but start with the mirror. When you get disgruntled in a church, it's almost always because you're not contributing. You're not helping. Your heart's not attached. And it happens all the time. Don't be a taker. Give back. Better yet, initiate by serving first. There's a book that was written in 1990, 33 years ago. 33 years ago. When I first came on staff here, we read this as a team. This is by Peter Drucker, who many would consider to be, you know, one of the top leaders, in the, especially in the nonprofit industry. And he talks about in this book, in the preface, the challenges. Of course, this, again, this is a little bit dated now that nonprofits face. And the challenges they faced in 1990, I think, are still in large measure the same challenges. I think we have some new challenges in today's culture. But these are two of the primary challenges that churches continue to face. And he says the first is to convert donors into contributors. And the idea simply there is taking someone who donates and having them become someone who cares about the institution. Someone who takes responsibility for what takes place there. And someone who cares and takes responsibility is someone very different than who just shows up and maybe contributes their offering. It's, hey, this is my place and I care about it and I need to help make it what it should and need to be. That's a big challenge that nonprofits face. But the second one is this. He says the second major challenge for nonprofits is to give community and to give common purpose. And he said 40 years ago, okay, so this would be like 1950s, most Americans already no longer lived in small towns, but they still had grown up in one. He said they had grown up in a local community, it was a compulsory community and could be quite stifling. Still, he said it was a community. Today, the great majority of Americans live in big cities and their suburbs. They've moved away from their moorings and they still need a community. And it's working as unpaid staff for a nonprofit institution that gives people a sense of community. Now listen, when he talks about nonprofits, he is not talking necessarily about churches. Churches will be grouped into that, 
But he's talking about hospitals. He's talking about, uh, you know, like, like, like a Boy Scout type institution. He's just talking about businesses that don't derive profit. So this is broader than that. But here's a guy who kind of gets what the Apostle Paul's writing. Being part of a community is working as unpaid staff for a nonprofit institution that gives people a sense of community. Can anything be defined more than that in the church? He says it gives people purpose. It gives them direction, whether it is work with the local Girl Scout troop as a volunteer in the hospital or as the leader of a Bible circle in the local church. Again and again, when I talk to volunteers and nonprofits, he says, I ask this question. Why are you willing to give all this time when you are already working hard in your paid job? It's a great question. Why are you willing to give all your giving on a Sunday to get up tomorrow and work hard for a paid job? And again and again, I get the same answer. Because here, I know what I am doing. Here, I contribute. Here, I am a member of a community. And this isn't just a community. This is an eternal family that lasts forever. Let me just take a few minutes and speak to you as one of the pastors on our staff and in pastor's absence as the lead pastor today. Um, Eastland is a church that's grown. We've grown slowly, uh, but we're growing. Since I came on staff, we've doubled in size. And we continue to grow. Post-COVID, we continue to experience growth. It's slow, but it's growing. It takes a lot of people to support the work here and to make the space special. And I think it is. And we need everyone here, every person, serving with your money. I think that's a biblical command. I think we, we, we get outside of God's pleasure when we're not doing that. We want His pleasure, and we have a responsibility to serve in that way. We serve by smiling. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and that is expressed on our faces. We serve by being present. We serve by encouraging others. We serve by welcoming them. We serve by following up on them. But there are other ways we serve too. Currently, we have 24 ministries of the church that are always looking for help. And we're going to go over those in detail this evening. I don't want to take more time than I have to this morning. But I want you to know we have 414 volunteers that are formally involved in a ministry. Now, there are tons of other areas in which people serve. That's not a formal ministry. That's just as essential and needed. We have 216 people in two or more ministries. And we have 91 in three or more ministries. Why? Because there's a need. There's a real need. And so what happens is some good people say, there's a need here, I'll be involved there. There's another need here, I'll be involved there. There's another need here, I'll be involved there. Good people with good hearts. But sometimes they're just giving too much. And they can get burned out. And one of the roles as, as a shepherd of a flock is to say, well, we got to protect this. So what's the solution? Because the needs are still there. The staff, we got away a couple weeks ago, and we were discussing the ministries of our church. And so we went through this exercise. We feel like people are, could, could, could run the risk of getting burned out, and we don't want that. So what's the solution? Well, the obvious solution is more people. But we went through the exercise. Well, could we cut a service out from the, from the, from the course of a week? What, air, what, what ministry can we put on the chopping block? And, and we have a very lively, long debate, <laughs> relatively passionate. We didn't know what to cut. We didn't know where to chop. This church is an incredible place, but it takes resources to make it work. 
And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to put the burden on you this morning. If you like this place and you want it to continue to be what it is, we can't have multiple people serving in three and four and five ministries. It's just not going to work long term. So what's the solution? Well, we need some more people. We need some of you to say, I will cover that door. In just a few weeks, we're going to have this parking lot open. We, had, we ran into some significant issues with the gas line that was present. And it, it's, it, if you want a lot of detail, John can fill your ear with all the details, all right? But let me just say this this morning, that issue was resolved quicker than we anticipated. And the, 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 the crew had to pull off for a week. They're back on it, and it's going to be done soon. Progress is going to be made very quickly now. But that's going to create a whole new portal on this side of the building, on the south side, where we don't really have any guests coming in. And all of a sudden, we need more people to man those doors and to take people and show them where to go and to welcome them into our church. It's going to, it's going to create a whole other entrance for us. There's some real needs here. And, and so there's some people here that you could be involved. You could be a help in a lot of different areas of ministry. And, and we need the help. And so tonight we're going to go through some of that, talk some more specifics. I'm going to ask you to go out and talk to some of the ministry leaders and, and maybe get some of their paperwork so that you can better understand what is involved there. But the challenge for you this morning is simply this. And I'm going to land this plane really hard and fast because I know what time it is. Be the servant that God made you to be. If you got the gospel, you're saved, you know Jesus Christ, you got freedom in Christ, take all of that, activate that into love and good works and service. There are many areas of life, there are a lot of nonprofits, there's a lot of good places to use your gifts. I'm just asking you this if you attend here and are committed to this place, then let this be the place where you contribute to. There's a lot of good places, but there's no better place than the church for which Christ died. The gift of this place. God didn't make Phoebe to be a taker. He didn't bless her with resources and a willing heart uh, to just take from Paul. He made her to give. And he made you to be a giver and a servant too. But we have to get there in our minds. And we're going to have to get there in our actions. And so let's be that. Let's take care of this place. Let's care for the affairs of this church. This is our place. This is our church. There's a lot of other great places out there, but this is mine and it's yours. And so let's invest here. Let's take care of this place. I want to invite you tonight for part two. All right. But this morning, let me just ask you to stand for a moment.